These parables that we are looking at uh, this month are ones that come from a section in the Gospel of Matthew that are all about the kingdom and what does God's kingdom look like or what is it like. <clears throat> so Catherine began last week with, with a parable and I'll be continuing with the second one today. I just want to say it's great to be back with you and to be sharing a message with you again. Some of you may be relatively new to uh, Trinity within the last few weeks and might be going, who is that guy standing up there talking? Uh, so my name is Steve Price. If I have not met you before, I look forward to the opportunity and so glad that you have come to join us for worship, whether it's here in person or if you're here with us online. Um, and uh, I shared with the eight o'clock service this morning, I said, you know, it, it's been a minute since I was up here doing this. And so this could either go terribly because I'm so out of practice, or it could go really well because I'm refreshed. So you all, you all, I'll leave that up for you, you guys to decide, and you can tell me on the way out. So, um, But I want to read a passage from the 13th chapter of Matthew this morning. Uh, where Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom. And I'll be reading from the version known as the Message Bible. He told another story. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemies sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? He answered, Some enemy did this. The farmhands asked, Should we weed out the whistles, the thistles? And he said, no, if you weed the thistles, you'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them in bundles for the fire. Then gather the wheat and put it in the barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. And God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words of this servant, that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives on this day. Amen. <clears throat> Some time ago I heard a story about a man who went on a search for the perfect church. He went around and he visited one church after another, hoping to find the one that was just perfect. But every church that he went to, there was something that wasn't quite to his liking. And so he just kept moving from church to church to church. Until one day he was talking with a friend of his and he was explaining his, his struggle and how disappointed he was. And so his friend very patiently listened to him for a little while. And then finally, when the man took a pause, he said, you know, if you ever find that church, I feel really sorry for it because as soon as you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> How true it is, right? So here we are this morning in the parables again. And last week, if you were with us, you remember that a sower went out to sow seed. 
And in that story, the sower didn't seem to care where he threw it. He just distributed it everywhere, trying to get it in every corner of of every space he could possibly find. This week, the farmer that we encounter seems to have a much more precise approach to planting. And seemingly, he has sown the perfect field of wheat, using only the finest seed in order to to grow up the finest crop possible. And I imagine his anticipation and his excitement, but no sooner has he planted it than the very next night, the story tells us, an enemy comes along and spoils it all. You see, the enemy spreads weeds through the field to grow up with the wheat. Now, the word in the Greek New Testament for these weeds that get mixed into the field is the word zizanion. Y'all go ahead and say that with me one time. Zizanion. Because it's just a fun word to say. It's not a fun thing, but it's a fun word to say. Zizanion most scholars agree now, is a word that refers to a particular type of weed that is common in Europe and Asia, perhaps not so common in America, but I'm still wondering if, because we've got a lot of IFAS and ag types around here, maybe somebody out there is familiar with the bearded darnel. Anybody know about the bearded darnel? Man, I am 0 for 3 today with that. But that's good because that means whatever I say about it, you all don't know if I'm telling the truth or not, so it's fine. But I did do some research on the bearded darnel after learning this uh, in reading through commentaries, Um, and, and here's what I found out. Three things. One, darnel is toxic to humans and to livestock. In fact, if consumed in too great of a quantity, it will kill you. Two... It looks very similar early on as it is growing up to wheat. When the green shoots come up, it's very difficult to tell them apart until it gets to the point where the wheat starts to sprout the grain and, and the darnel does not. But by that time, that's why, that's why, by the way, darnel is often referred to as false wheat because of the similarity in appearance. And by the time it is distinguishable from real wheat, they both have already grown to the point where the root systems are so intermingled that if you were to try to pull up the darnel, guess what happens? You pull up the wheat as well, which is exactly what the wise farmer recognizes in this story today and why he instructs the farmhands to leave it alone. They are eager to help. They are eager to rid his field of this nuisance, this weed that has been infested in the crop. But the farmer says, no, we'll just leave it alone until harvest time. And when the harvest comes, then they can be separated. The wheat gathered into the barn and the darnel burned in the fire. Well, what are we to make of this story And what in the world does it have to do with church or with human beings, for that matter? What is Jesus talking about here anyway? Well, let me first offer a reminder 
that with this and with all of the parables, we want to make sure that we don't force comparisons or analogies or metaphors too far. You see, the parables have a playful quality to them. And they have a way of being able to be looked at from different angles. And so if we get stuck too much looking from one particular viewpoint, we will miss something that the parable has to tell us if we shift our perspective and look at it from a different angle. I don't know about you, but the way that I recall over the course of my life most often hearing this parable explained uh, is this way. It goes along, goes something like this, that the wheat in the parable equals the good people, and the weeds or the darnel in the parable equals the bad people. And at the end of all time, the wheat, the good, gets gathered into the kingdom, the barn, and the bad get burned in the fire. But you know, that, that way of looking at it doesn't sit too well with me. As I think about the God that we come in contact with across the pages of Scripture, one who exhibits unconditional and, and relentless love for God's children, one who shows up in the person of Jesus Christ to be among us and to model that compassion and mercy for us, that idea of what the wheat and the weeds represent is one that's hard for me to stomach. Beyond that, there are some other problems with approaching it that particular way. Problem number one, if we are to assume that the farmer in this story is meant to represent God, which is a reasonable assumption since these are kingdom parables and the kingdom is all about what God is desiring, then it's helpful for us to remember that the farmer who represents God is the sole creator of humanity. Remember that back in the story in the beginning of Genesis, we hear about God creating the heavens and the earth, creating the trees, the sun and the moon and the skies and the fish and the birds and all the wild animals. And then God creates human beings in God's own image. And when God does so, God says that it is what? Very good. So, if the farmer is meant to represent God, and God is the sole creator, and all that God has created is good, then whatever it is that the enemy sows into the field can't be people because the enemy doesn't have the power to create life. The enemy can disrupt life, can bring pain and suffering and hardship, but the enemy cannot create life. And so there's something else going on here. Problem number two, it's not always so easy to distinguish the good ones from the bad ones, is it? We are all at some level a mixture of the two, are we not? And problem number three, we far too often put ourselves 
in the position of determining which ones are the good ones and which ones are the bad ones. And we are terrible at making those kinds of judgments. Thank goodness it's not up to us, my friends. Some theologians have suggested that perhaps the reason it is so important to Matthew, who is the only one of the gospel writers to include this story in the gospels, perhaps the reason it is so important for him to include these words of Jesus is because it is a cautionary tale for the early church community to whom he is speaking. Because you see, apparently, even way back then, in the early church, people were already trying to separate the in crowd from the out crowd. And the church, over centuries, throughout the pages of history, has continued to do a lot of damage when it has tried to determine for itself who's the wheat and who are the weeds. And so this parable comes to us this morning as a reminder, that's not your job, church. That is not your job, people. It's as if this parable inserted into the 13th chapter of Matthew is one way of expounding or expanding on a teaching of Jesus that we hear earlier in Matthew. In chapter 7, in the section where Jesus went up to the hilltop and taught a large crowd and had many important things to say, you all remember some of those sayings, one of them was this, do not judge, for the measure you give will be the measure you get. So if we carry that teaching forward into today's parable, then we can see how if we decide to take it upon ourselves to go around pulling up everything that we think are the weeds growing in the kingdom, then we just might end up getting pulled up ourselves as well. Some years ago, I heard Pastor Ron Mortoya talk about the ways in which, two different ways in which people encounter church who come as, as newcomers. One model of experiencing church is what he refers to as the behave, believe, belong model. Under that model, a new person shows up and the folks who are already there pay attention to see if this is someone who behaves the right way in order to be a part of their church. And then once they're certain that this person is going to behave the right way, then they start to have conversations to make sure that they believe the right things. And if the person behaves properly and believes the right things, well, then they can belong to that group of people. Martoya says, you know, the churches that do it best are the ones that flip that to belong, believe, behave. These are the churches that when someone comes, says, we're so glad you're here. And as they begin to experience a feeling of belonging, they think to themselves, maybe, maybe, 
there really is a God who loves me unconditionally. And they begin to believe some things about this God who they are hearing about and who they are experiencing through the way in which they are treated in that community. And as they come to believe in that, then they want to learn more about what it means to behave like a follower of Jesus so that they too can become a part of a community that is seeking to help others belong as well. What a difference it makes to flip that model. Thank goodness for the wisdom of the farmer in the story today. Let them grow together, he says. We'll sort it out later. And it is in observing the patience of the farmer that we may be able to sift out a blessing from this story today. Because when we begin to shift the way in which we see the wheat and the weeds, we may realize that this is a story about our sanctification. A story about how we are made to be more like Jesus as we seek to follow after him because it's all about God giving us the time and the space and the grace we need in the field to grow and mature. To be able to separate not the wheat that are the good ones from the weeds that are the bad ones, the bad people, but to separate the wheat from the weeds that exist in each of our own lives. Writer Martin Bell puts it this way, dare I hope that the tares do not represent people, but rather the alienation and despair that is the universal condition of humanity. I pray, Lord, that in the end it will be this alienation that is destroyed and the whole of humankind is gathered into the kingdom. Perhaps that is precisely what is happening when the wheat gets separated from the weeds. But you know, even if the wheat and the weeds do represent people, who is there among us to say that there is no hope for the weeds? After all, the one who turned water into wine, the one who could calm a ferocious raging storm with the lifting of his hand, the one who made it possible for a blind man to see, the one who took away the demons that had oppressed a young man for his whole life, the one who was able to bring one from death to life. Couldn't that one also turn a weed into wheat? And that, my friends, might not just be good news for someone else, but even for a weed like you or me. Thanks be to God. Amen.